You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Peace be with you. Welcome to Sojourn. If you don't know me, my name is Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here. It's both a joy and a privilege uh, to be with you this morning and coming out of the first chapter of Luke. Um, just uh, before we get started, I want to remind us that we are in a, a season uh, called Advent. This is the second week of that season, and, and it's in that season that we long and prepare for the celebration of the birth, birth of Jesus. So uh, that's what we're looking back to in the season of Advent, but in the season of Advent, we're also looking forward to something, and that's that Jesus himself said that he would come again. And so there, there is a second coming of Jesus that is yet to happen, and we look forward to that day knowing uh, all of the things that God has promised to those of us who would consider ourselves Christians in the room this morning, um, and all the glorious things that he has said will happen when he comes again. And so uh, there's, a, there's a twofold uh, longing and anticipation during this season. Um, and Every Advent we do this, and so I just want to uh, make a, a quick appeal, and that is uh, we do an uh, Advent giving campaign. Uh, in that, essentially what we're trying to do is this. Uh, in our culture, um, we are in our most excessive season. This is when we're spending the most amount of money to do the most sort of amount of things. Um, and in that, in our culture, Jesus has called us to be counter-cultural, um, to live lives of, of generosity and sacrifice. And so uh, what we encourage all of our members to do, and if you're uh, in between churches and you love Jesus and need a place to give, then we would encourage you to do that here. Um, but we encourage all of our members to consider giving above and beyond what we would normally give. Um, there's some information about where we're going to give out of that extra as a, as a family, as a, as a church. Um, that's on the connect table. It's in the back of this room as you leave, so there's a little, it's a little flyer. It just looks like this. If you want more information about that, how to give, where it's going, that's all right there. So just wanted to make you aware of that. Um, with that said, this Advent, we've begun a journey um, through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's, it's definitely, definitely going to be more of a flyover, even though we're, we won't be finishing it until Easter. Um, there, there's a lot that we will miss in that journey, but... What we do know is that in this gospel, in this account of Jesus' life written by Luke, we are being told, we are being shown on the pages of Scripture uh, that God's salvation has come to us in the life, in the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our salvation in Jesus is not an abstract concept, uh, nor is it merely set in the future, the Christian gospel is past, it is present, and it is future, and it changes the way we live, restores human dignity, revitalizes society, calls every man, woman, and child to receive God's grace, and then go about extending that same grace to others. The gospel of Luke tells us a salvation story that inspires a new way of life in the world. And so we're here in chapter one, and we get an introduction to a seminal character by the name of Mary. And we have a lot of text to cover. Obviously, we just read 30 verses, so uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on uh, in those 30 verses, a lot going on theologically, a lot going on just historically, a lot going on just interpersonally with Mary and several different relationships that she has. And 
The reality is that we could spend a lot more time than I have this morning talking about these 30 verses. But what I want us to do, both for the sake of time and for the sake of cohesion during our time together, is to trace Mary's journey in all of this. In particular, because I think that that broadly, as a general rule, Mary is misunderstood. And we'll talk about why I think that's the case. Let me pray and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, Again, God, we are grateful to be gathered together um, as your people, called by your name. And Lord, we um, ask, Lord, this morning, humbly, uh, that you would meet us here. We ask that you would provide for your people. Uh, You've been known to do that throughout history in ages past, Lord. You've provided. And we come before you and we ask you to do it again. We need your spirit this morning to open for us the scriptures. We need your spirit to call us into obedience. We need your spirit to empower us for obedience this morning. And so, Lord, we just confess this morning that we are weak and lowly and that you are high and holy and you have all that we need in and of yourself. We thank you, Lord, that in the coming of Jesus, in the sending of your son, you've made it clear to us that you are more than happy to give it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's look at this conversation that Mary is going to have over the next few verses with the angel Gabriel, starting in verse 26. This is what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, before we move on any further, we we know the characters in this story. We know Mary. We know Joseph. We've we've seen them, whether we're Christians or not. We've seen them either in a nativity scene that we set up or in a nativity scene that we were offended by. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, But we we know who these characters are, right? We know Joseph. We know Mary. We know the angel Gabriel. This is not a surprise to us. And yet, there's a detail in here that I don't want us to skip over because it's going to be important in a little bit uh, further on in the sermon. And that's that Mary is a virgin who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And, and the detail that I want us to, to zero in on is the, the, the adjective there, or, or the relationship that she's involved in. She is part of a betrothal, a betrothed relationship with Joseph. And I want us to zero into that because that's not a word that we really use anymore, right? The betrothal as a, as a system or as a relationship structure doesn't really exist anymore. To be betrothed, at least at this time, was to be legally pledged to be married. And the emphasis on the word legally. And so some of us are like, well, what's the difference between that and marriage, right? Um, but that's what is taking place here. Joseph and Mary legally pledged to be married to one another. And it matters in part because this was Mary's social security here. Joseph's family was her safety net. To lose Joseph would mean not only to lose a future husband, but it would mean to lose a future holistically. It would almost certainly mean for her a life of poverty on the fringes of society. And and that without a child. And so it's into that relationship, it's into this relational situation that now the angel Gabriel is going to come and speak to Mary. And this is what he says. 
says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And there's a lot in this greeting that maybe we wouldn't pick up if we didn't zero in on some details. But it says, greetings, O favored one. And the word greeting, yeah, of course, I mean, it's a, it's a greeting, so I don't really need to explain that any further. But there's more to it than that. The word greeting was a greeting, but it meant much more than greeting. The word that's actually used here is an antonym. You guys know what that is? We're going back to English, right? So an antonym is the antonym of synonym, meaning, right? So if, if a synonym is two things that mean the same thing, then an antonym is two things that mean the opposite of one another. Well, this word greeting that the angel uses is the antonym of weeping, And so in some sense, what we could read or what we could say here is that Gabriel is saying, rejoice, Mary. Not just greeting, but rejoice. Why? Well, the answer is in the following sentence, right? You are the favored one. You are favored by God. And then he goes on to say that the Lord is with Mary. The Lord is with you, he says. And again, there's much more at play here than what's on the surface. You see, because the way that the angel Gabriel is speaking has language that is rooted in the Old Testament, meaning all of those books of the Bible that were written before Jesus was ever born, right? All of those books, it's that kind of language that Gabriel is speaking with. He's alluding to the Old Testament. He's alluding to the Jewish Scriptures, in saying, the Lord is with you. In fact, that phrase in and of itself is used throughout the Old Testament with reference to people or persons whom the Lord would use for a special purpose in His history of redemption, in this story that He is weaving throughout all of human history. And listen, Mary would have recognized this language. Okay, So while we just read it and we go, greetings, the Lord is with you, great, moving right along, Mary would have heard that, and there are some things that that would have brought to mind for her. Namely, the Scriptures. She may not have known why Gabriel was there, but she would have known this is language that God uses. Keep reading. Verse 29 says this. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting it might be. Now, Mary's first response is likely not what we may have thought, right? I think many of us, when we think of Mary, we think of this just very compliant, sweet, young woman, you know? And like that in this moment, she was just like, okay, cool, like angels coming in the room, greeting me, using God's language, sounds great. Like that this was just kind of another day in the life of Mary. It wasn't. It tells us that she's greatly, not just, not just some troubled, not just a little troubled, but greatly troubled at the saying, at the language, at what was said to her. Before like the angel Gabriel ever gets to the details, she's greatly troubled at what sort of, and tries to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She doesn't rejoice. She doesn't immediately trust this messenger. She's confused. She's perplexed. So what does she do? She essentially has an 
internal dialogue. That's what that word discern, the, the word discern in Greek there is dialogue. She has this internal dialogue. She tries to account for what's going on. She tries to take in what she is sensing with her eyes and her ears, and she's trying to make sense of it, trying to make an account for it. What is going on here? Mary is entirely rational in this moment. She's not a religious fanatic. She is a believer, but she hasn't checked her brain at the door in this moment. She's a sober thinker. She considers what she sees. She thinks about it, and then it tells us that she doubts. And so in Mary, what we have here is a picture of a religious woman who doubts. And you know what? That's really not a a super odd occurrence. In fact, uh, I think what we might be surprised if we were to read our Bibles is that we would find uh, that many, not just many, maybe even the majority of biblical characters doubt. And so the question isn't whether or not religious people can or can't doubt. It's the question is, how do we go about dealing with our doubts? And so I I want to dispel a myth this morning that if you're religious, you're, you're... not allowed to doubt, that you're not allowed to have questions, that you're not allowed to look at things like what's happening in Luke as the character herself is also doubting and asks similar questions. And I think for many of us, if we're not religious in the room this morning, or if we wouldn't consider ourselves followers of Jesus, many of us tend to think about people like me, like who get up and talk about a virgin who gives birth to this guy who's going to like save the world, right? You tend to think, well, that guy just checked his brain at the door. I'm telling you, you don't have to do that. So if you're religious, if you're a Christian in the room this morning, you don't have to not doubt. And if you're not a Christian in the room this morning, you don't have to check your brain at the door. We can enter into discovering Jesus on the pages of Scripture, in particular, this journey throughout the, the, this gospel account of Luke, and we can Ask real questions. In fact, Mary's going to show us the way forward. Verse 30 says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so if the conversation wasn't odd enough already, right? If, if Mary was not perplexed enough already, if she was not already confused, if she was not already simply trying to discern the greeting of the angel... Gabriel now goes into the actual details of what he's come to tell her. And what has he come to tell her? Well, you're going to have a son. That's an uncomfortable thing for a virgin to hear. You're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. 
So first of all, I'm having a son. Second of all, you've already given me the name. Great. I have no agency in any of this. But then Gabriel goes on to use lots of weighty language. He says that her son is going to be called the son of the Most High God. Now, again, this is what I like to call pregnant language. There's meaning underneath the surface. You'll see that language, Most High God, used in the Old Testament all the time to reference the one and only God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, whatever, you know, whatever uh, I am. Right? She says, he, he says, your son is going to be called the son of who? The Most High God. He's going to be the Savior that Israel has waited for. He's going to be the one that fully rescues. He's the one who's going to sit on the throne of his father David, who's a significant character in the Old Testament. King of Israel. He's going to sit on that throne. He will reign over the house of Jacob, that is Israel. He'll reign over his people forever. And of this kingdom that your son will be the king of, that kingdom is never going to end, ever. What Gabriel says to Mary. How does Mary respond? He says, she says in verse 34, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. Right? Mary responds with a very honest question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Listen, for many of us, for many of us, the virgin birth has been difficult to reconcile, right? Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or whether you would not consider yourself a Christian in the room this morning, the reality is at some point, someone has mentioned the virgin birth, right? And we've gone, yeah, I don't know about that. Had any of us, before this moment, before right now, thought to ourselves, how did this sit for Mary? Maybe it was difficult for her to reconcile too, right? Many of us probably assumed, again, that maybe it was just easy for her, that she was just sort of, this was the woman that God picked, and she was like, okay, like only faith all the time, right? Never stumbled, never wavered, never thought differently, never had questions. It's just not true. How will this be since I am a virgin? She reacted just like you and I would. Tim Keller puts it way better than I ever will put anything in my life. But So this is, this is what he says. You might have a worldview that makes it difficult to believe in a virgin birth, but... Mary was a Jewish woman. Those were the last people on the face of the earth to have believed God through His Holy Spirit would come in and impregnate her. She had a worldview far more antithetical to the virgin birth than you do. So again, if you struggle with doubt, whether it's religious doubt or whether it's irreligious doubt, the the question is, what should we do about it? And again, I think Mary shows us the way forward. What does she do? She asks honest questions. And the angel gives her an answer in verse 35, and he says this. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So the angel answers her question. He answers it with this interesting phrase. Probably, again, one that might... (laughs) might have warranted a little more explanation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And again, if we're just reading, then maybe we miss it, but this is a reference that Mary would have recognized. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. She likely would have known that this is a reference back again to Israel's scriptures in Isaiah 32, to be exact, which says this, in Jerusalem, the palace is forsaken, the city is deserted until, quote, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. Mary would have heard this, And she would have heard that it was in her womb that the embodiment of God's justice and righteousness, the one who would redeem Israel, will dwell there as he prepares to enter the world. Now the angel, again, knowing that Mary is still probably struggling to believe God can do or would do this, says, let me give you some evidence. This is the part that we're all like, yes, please. He says, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age is conceived. She's in her sixth month of pregnancy, and she's someone that everybody else used to say was barren. And then he says these words in 37, for nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. And there's three sorts of evidence that's being summoned for us here. Obviously, the first one is, hey, just go, like, go talk to Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant. You know she couldn't get pregnant before, but now she is. Go, see. See, what I'm telling you is true. But the key is in that verse 37 where it says, For nothing will be impossible with God. In this, Gabriel is not only talking about Elizabeth and her overcoming her barrenness, he's, he's making a reference. Again, it's a, di- a direct quote to the Old Testament. And again, this, this whole passage is littered with them, okay? So if you've ever thought that there's any reason to, quote-unquote, unhitch the Old Testament from the New, um, the, the Bible just, just doesn't allow for that. But it's a reference to Genesis 18. And what's happening in Genesis 18? Well, God's making a promise to another person. In fact, he's speaking to Abraham, and this is what he says. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Abraham kind of laughs at this because she's like a hundred. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. That's a kind way of saying she's unable to have children. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Verse 14, this is the key. Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
Is anything impossible with God? To which Gabriel replies later on in Luke, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so the angel is saying to Sarah, yes, I mean, saying to Mary, yes, go talk to Elizabeth. But he's also saying to her, listen, you're not the first one to doubt. You're not the first one to wonder whether or not this is something God could or would do. You're not the first one to think that this is ridiculous. You're not the first thing to hear something from the Lord and go, okay, sounds great. Angel is saying, listen, God is doing what God has always done, opening wombs to pour out blessing. The barren womb of Sarah to give us Abraham's family, the lineage of Jesus, the barren Hannah to bring us Samuel who would restore the fortunes of a nation, bring them their king, the virgin womb of Mary, who would bring to us the Savior, Jesus. In verse 38, again, let's just look at how Mary responds to all of this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, something has happened here. This is a significant shift for Mary. Up until this point, right? We've seen a lot of just sort of hands-off, like kind of, okay, I don't really know about that. How's that going to work, right? Like there's some serious logistical questions I have, right, about how all this is going to come to pass. And she comes to the end of this conversation, right, after having Gabriel sort of explain a bit more, give a bit more detail, help her in her understanding. And she says those words, let it be to me according to your word. Essentially, in this moment, she, she, she gives herself over to this narrative that Gabriel is giving to her. She says, okay, let it be. Let it be so. Let what you say will happen, happen to me. And this is significant, right? Again, uh, many of us wouldn't think so, right, if we were to just read through it. But let's remember what this means for Mary. Mary, you're going to give birth as a virgin in the midst of your betrothal. Mary begins with doubt. She asks honest questions, and now she trusts. And the way that we can know that she trusts is she's willing to put her future marriage on the line. And again, that's not just a, a relationship, right? This is not just, well, Joseph makes me feel happy, so I really want to hold on to that. It's like, it, Joseph makes me feel happy, but, all, but Joseph also means future security. Joseph also means that if, right, if I do have children, they'll be cared for financially. And in this, she's saying, listen, no matter what happens, no matter what this means for that, no matter what this means for my future, let it be. Let it be as you have said it would be. And so in all of this, essentially she's saying, look, Joseph will probably divorce me, but let it be. I'm going to be an unwed mother. I'm going to be disgraced, outcast in poverty. And Mary is willing to trust no matter the circumstances. Something wonderful that the Lord has 
done in her heart throughout this as he is lovingly engaged with her. Listen, I think a lot of us think that when we bring questions to God that his response is just, well, you should have had more faith. Too bad for you. But we don't see that here, right? We see what we see is the Lord through the angel Gabriel being willing to engage in the doubts of a woman, a woman who he has already said over her, you are favored. And so clearly her favor is not dependent on the strength of her faith. Quite the opposite. It's only dependent upon the object of her faith. Which in this case turns from all of maybe the rational questions, all of the different things that need to maybe still be overcome to the word of the Lord given to her. And so what happens next in all of that? Well, Mary, Mary investigates, right? What does she do? It says, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Here it is. The proof is going to be in the pudding, right? And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And I love that Mary gets this moment, right? That Mary gets this moment of, of essentially confirmation, right? And some of us could go, well, it's just a coincidence. Like Gabriel came and said she'd be six months along, and oh, look, here it is. Here's Elizabeth. She's six months along. Like, could have happened to anyone, right? But I love that even though, again, I'm sure Mary has a million other questions. What's going to happen to me and Joseph? What's going to happen? How's this kid going to be born? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Right? Of all of those things that, that she still has questions about, this one little thing, this one little sort of taste that, that Gabriel gives her of like, look, look, you can trust. You can trust. There's just this, there's this one little thing she can go to and she go, Gabriel was right. He was right. And so for all of the other questions that I might have, for all of the other difficulties that might be presented to me along the way, Gabriel was right. And Elizabeth proclaims a blessing over her accordingly, right? Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord spoke to her. Blessed are you, Mary, for holding on to that. You see, the beauty about faith and trust is that one day it will be sight. And listen, we might, we might not get the full measure, right, immediately. Like Mary doesn't see the whole thing play out, right, in some weird vision or anything like that, right? No, nothing extraordinary other than this one little moment. Mary still, right, has to navigate this conversation with Joseph, which I'm sure is awkward. 
And yet along the way, as she's going, as she's moving, day by day, the Lord is giving her enough glimpses, enough insight, enough to be able to give her trust over to him. And it's as she trusts God. Right? It took, it took trust for her to make the journey to Elizabeth in the first place. It's as she trusts God that her doubts unravel. It's as she allows God to unravel those doubts that she begins to praise him for all that he's doing, right? And that's what we see ultimately in this final song, which again, we could spend hours and hours talking about these next 10 verses, but we're just going to read them. This is what Mary says in response to everything that's taken place to her, her entire world being flipped upside down, everything she expected about and for her future, completely, totally, and radically changed. And in all of it, Mary says this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on me the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. So we have this beautiful picture of, of Mary's journey, Right? Where she's confronted with God in a moment of significant complexity, right? Gabriel shows up and she's, she's, she's got to do something with that, right? And her response is not to just shut off her brain and check out. It's also not just blind religious faith, right? She steps into it. She thinks soberly, she discerns, she tries to wrestle with what's been put before her, right? She asks honest questions. She says, how's this, how's this all going to work? I have no idea. She listens, she takes it in, she processes, she chooses to trust. And in all of that, in all of that, the Lord does this amazing work in her changes her heart, causes her, elicits praise from her in the work that he has done on her behalf. And so listen, like I said, we're going to be in, we're going to be in Luke for a significant season. But really our, our, our hope is very simple. And that's that in this Advent journey and really the remainder of our journey through Luke, which concludes Easter Sunday, that we'd follow Mary's lead. That if we're Christians in the room, we would eagerly engage with our doubts, that we wouldn't be afraid of them, right? That we wouldn't let them cause us to turn off our, our thinking or our minds, but that we also wouldn't, wouldn't allow our ability to rationalize God so influence, so influence us that we would no longer be able to trust Him in, in Him either. And if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian in the room, then 
same thing. We want you to be confronted by the real Jesus, right? Not, not the caricature of Jesus, not the co-opted Jesus, you know, uh, the one that's been used either by uh, political parties or people in the media or whatever to sort of influence uh, 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 a culture's thinking, right? None of those things. We, we want to see, we want to be confronted by the real Jesus. We want to be forced then in response to that ultimately to ask honest questions. But then allow for room for those questions to be answered and to walk in trust and to walk in faith. And to wait for God to reveal Himself in our doubts. Listen, none of this was immediate for Mary. This was the beginning of a, what would end up being a lifelong journey for her. Some of the more confusing moments, maybe even still yet to come, when she's watching her son being nailed to a cross. And yet in all of it, we see this marvelous, godly, faithful woman who is marvelous and godly and faithful in large part because she's willing. Because she's willing to eagerly entertain her doubts and then turn to God in trust and in faith, expecting that He will in fact make good on His promises. That He will in fact, as she exclaims in verse 54, remember His mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, God, we're grateful to be gathered together as your people. We're grateful, Father, that in spite of our doubts, Father, you have chosen time and time again to reveal yourself, be it through your word, be it through the power of your Holy Spirit in prayer, be it through the power of your Holy Spirit as your people gather together and rejoice in your truth, rejoice in your scriptures. I pray, Father, that we would continue to earnestly engage with our doubts. I pray, Father, that you would, in kind, continue, Father, to reveal yourself to us. Pray, Father, that we'd be continually forced to look at what you would have for us in the world, and we'd continue, Lord, to respond in faith, to believe that what you say is best is best, to look at what it may cost to follow you, and like Mary, say, let it be done to me as you have said. So that we might be found faithful. So that we might, like Mary, be called blessed as one and as ones who believe in the fulfillment of what has been spoken to us by you. Lord, we love you. We praise you for all good things. In the precious, glorious, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.